What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined, as always, by David Lake. Um, Got a bit of an interesting, I guess, podcast coming up today. We're going to talk a little team stuff, get into some recruiting, but more importantly, um, we are uh, answering questions for our VIP subscribers at Inside the U. Dot com. But before we get into that, David, how you doing on this on this fine? I was going to say Thursday, but it's actually Friday. Yeah, doing well. We are what about a week away from the start of spring football, so I'm ready for it. I'm rested up. I am bored uh, with the dead period going on, so I'm ready to get back to work and start seeing how they look on the on the practice field in about a week. How are you doing? Same. Uh, the dead period has made this month. I feel like we've said this the past three podcasts, but just pretty, uh, pretty dead. I mean, there's not much going on. There's some recruiting events here and there, and thankfully Miami's one of these schools that's starting spring practice a little early. Um, you know, I've seen some spring practice schedules circulate, and and they're not even until like late March. So. Uh, glad that Miami's going to be one of the first ones out there, just because I think there's a ton of excitement around the team. You got a new offensive coordinator, a new quarterback, um, some other key additions. It sh- it should be uh, interesting. Definitely. Let's jump into it. What do you want to start with first for the podcast? Uh, let's talk about something that kind of came across my desk here um, a few days ago. From what I'm hearing, it sounds like Miami's going to be making at least one position change uh, this spring, and that is safety Keontra Smith. I think from what I've heard, Miami's going to try him out at striker. And I think me and you have discussed this before, but just your initial thoughts and yeah. on that on that move. I think it makes sense. I from a Keontre standpoint and from a team standpoint um first from Keontre from his point of view I think the striker position is essentially what he played a lot in high school he was kind of a in the box safety at Chaminade he was really good at run support he was essentially a linebacker I guess if, if you're just gonna call it um he's very physical he is fast. I mean, he, it's not like he's a, he's playing in the box because he's a slow guy. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that can cover better than a linebacker could. And he he brings some speed to the front seven. So I think it makes sense for him to get some reps at striker. And then from a team standpoint, you know, I think we all assume Gilbert Frierson is going to be the starter at striker. And then after him... There's really no like set backup right now at this stage. Um, the coaching staff has said maybe recent signee Keyshawn Washington can be a striker down the road, but I think he still has to pack on a lot of weight and get stronger before that gets explored more. And there's really not anyone else on the roster that is suited to do that this spring. I guess maybe Amari Carter fans would like to see yeah. that. I think I would like to see it too, but you know I, I do think they are committed to doing Amari at safety. Uh, I don't know, but yeah, I think this this move makes a lot of sense um, for for all parties. 
I agree. And you brought up a lot of good points. I mean, let's look back at Keontre's kind of recruitment. I mean, he was a, a top 24 safety or top 247 safety out of uh, Hollywood, Shamanad and Madonna Prep. You know, he was a 455 kid on the lasers, very physical, like you said. I think he had uh, upwards of uh, 100 tackles as a as a senior for a, a team that won a state championship. And you, you mentioned it. I mean, Romeo Finley's gone. Uh, Gilbert Frierson is probably going to be the starting striker. I mean, it's not even a probably like he, he will be unless, unless something crazy happens. I mean, just cause they don't have yeah. uh, anyone else. And let's not forget this time last year is when they decided to move Frierson to striker. Um, and we saw him kind of, get some run at, at more and more as the season went on. So I, I th- I'm all for this move. I think it's going to help him. Uh, and, and by him, I mean, Keontre get on the field. And I thought he was pretty well in the, in the limited special teams we saw from him this past season. You know, he only got one game uh, where he, where he, he was in there for defensive snaps and that was against Bethune Cookman, but he was on the, on the kickoff uh, coverage unit for like eight games and he didn't redshirt so I think the staff thinks pretty highly of him and going back to Amari I think to Amari Carter and playing striker potentially I think too one thing to keep in mind is the uh, health standpoint the body standpoint of the safety position uh, Bubba Bolden he might play at some point during the spring but he's not expected to start spring after you know the injury he sustained against Florida State. So I think keeping that in mind, it makes sense to continue to play Amari Carter at safety alongside Gervin Hall uh, for the start of spring. Would that change if, if Bubba Bolden was not injured and ready to go at the start of the spring? I don't know. I think it, it's an interesting thing to think about. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's what I would say keeping in mind with Amari Carter potentially playing striker. And maybe it does happen during fall camp. I don't know. But yeah, I think moving Keontre Smith to striker, giving him some reps there, seeing how that looks, makes a lot of sense. Do you anticipate any other position changes? Anything else you think we'll see them experiment with? I'll say this. I... This is really nerdy, like roster management stuff. This podcast is all for roster management. I'm curious, and who knows? I don't know if it makes a difference at all or whatever. I would be curious about what the offensive line would look like if you flip-flopped Ja'Kai Clark and Corey Gaynor. So I think Ja'Kai Clark is more of a center than Corey Gaynor. I don't think Corey Gaynor is like a bad center. I'm not saying that. I just think body type wise, uh, you know, potential wise, I think Ja'Kai is best suited to play center. You know, he was kind of thrust into the starting lineup last year. And really, you don't want to turn to a true freshman at center. So I understand why they did not play him there last year. But I would be interested to see if the offensive line looks better with Ja'Kai at center and Corey Gaynor maybe at guard. What are your thoughts? I'm for it. I mean, I think this is this is spring. Like I said, this is when you experiment. This is when you kind of toy with things. Um, I, I thought it said a lot last fall camp when Ja'Kai came in and right away was running with the number twos at center. So... 
Um, yeah, I, I'm for that. I, I don't really know how it's going to work with the, with the spread offense and and what Garen Justice is want is going to want to do. But that's something that's uh, certainly something to consider at least. I think. I would be curious too. It doesn't sound like they're going to explore this. I don't know, and, and maybe because he's such a young guy, he maybe he needs to focus on one position this spring. But I would be curious to see what Avery Huff looks like at striker as well. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, the thing is there though. Does doesn't Miami need as much help as it as it right. can get, or or able bodies at linebacker? I mean, we we Correct. touched on a, on the last podcast. Um, it sounds like both the true freshmen that enrolled early are going to be out and um, Bradley Jennings and Wayman Steed aren't, are still not goes or, or one of them's a go and Sam Brooks isn't. I don't know. It, that seems like it's a very uh, banged Correct. up room. And, you know, I am interested to see how Rhett Lashley tinkers with the wide receiver group. Like, how does he line up Mark Pope and jeremiah payton in the slot role or does he have those guys lining up as outside receivers all that kind of stuff is going to be interesting to me during the course of the spring all right let's kind of move to the next segment and this is really i mean what what we said the podcast would be about and that's that's a little mailbag of sorts um i put up a, a thread on our message board at, at miami.247sports.com or inside the u.com asking our via VIP subscribers to send us some questions and we got a ton of them. So we're going to start here with some team. I think we're going to take a quick break and then we'll uh, finish it up with the recruiting. So David, you ready for this? Yeah. Fire away. All right. This is by far, I think one of my, my favorite questions and not, not the elephant in the room, but I don't think a lot of people have really thought about this or discussed this. Uh, and, and this one comes from is it Huff27? Maybe maybe this is Avery Huff's um, <laughs> alias username. So he asks, would Manny's regular season win total be over under seven and a half, I'm assuming wins, to determine if he's fired? Eight wins, he keeps his job. Seven, he's fired. So I think what he's asking is, what would you set the over under um, for Manny Diaz in the 2020 season? And more importantly, how many wins does he need um, to be retained and and get a year three. Right. So, you know, these hypotheticals are definitely interesting. Um, but on the front end, I do want to say, like, I think that is a fair number, seven and a half, right? Um, but on the front end, I would say context always matters on all of this stuff. So let's say they win seven games, right? Well, what does that seven wins look like uh for instance let's say Derek king sustains an injury you know early in the season or before the season and knocks him out for the year and then miami wins seven games i think you need to recalibrate your expectations if something like that happens but let's just assume everything you know no crazy injuries happen everything goes according to the plan and Miami only wins seven games. Yeah, I think then Manny's going to kind of be in trouble, to be honest. Um, you know, modern college football, we've seen it the last couple years, especially recently, you know, this previous year. Um, t- coaches don't get much time anymore. This is 
now looked at as a big, big, big business. Um, it's essentially pro sports, let's be real. And so really a lot of, a lot of teams, a lot of, a lot of coaches get two years to show what they can do. And if you don't have the, um, trust of the fan base or, or if the fan base and the administration doesn't feel like things are going on the right trajectory, you know, I think administrations and schools have shown they're not afraid to make early moves. And I think that's fair. I mean, look, these guys get paid a ton of money. Um, and so you got to deliver results if you make that kind of money and you, you got to deliver them quickly. Um, and I think too, with the moves Manny has made, uh, this off season, and with the moves Blake James has made as the athletic director with bringing in some, you know, Ed Reed and, and whatnot, I think they both are telling us with those moves, hey, we know we're in win now mode this year. We need to get this thing up and running this year or else, you know, things could change for, for Manny Diaz and, and possibly Blake James. You never know. So, yes, I, I do think if. You know, something crazy. Unless something crazy happens, um, seven wins. It's going to be tough for Manny moving forward. Uh, I would agree. I think Manny needs to find a way to get to eight. And you mentioned uh, context, and you know, the past month has gone very well for Miami in terms of changing offensive coordinators, bringing Rhett Lashley in landing Derek King out of the transfer portal, getting Quincy Roche, the defensive end, um, getting Jose Borregales, bringing in Ed Reed. Like all of that has gone to plan. You can even talk about the recruiting finish with Avante Williams and I Isaiah Dunson landing both those guys. But at the end of the day, um, Manny lost last season, not only to FIU, but also to Louisiana Tech. So those are two group of five schools. And I've said this before, and I, I know, David, you've brought it up. I mean, you don't get those games back. Like, those were your mistakes. And uh, yeah. I, so, I mean, the pressure is on. I, I think CoachesHotSeat.com right now has has Manny Diaz number eight on the list. Um, the coaches ahead of him, Clay Helton, Tom Herman, Kevin Sumlin, Will Muschamp, Derek Mason, Scott Frost, and Randy Edsel. Uh, and most of those guys have been there for a while. Um, and you also brought up the fact that we live in this accelerated T timeline now i mean you don't get three four years it, it, it's two years willie taggart only got 21 games at florida state chad morris only got 22 at, at arkansas so uh, i think manny knows he needs to win and uh they got to get to eight i think disaster scenario would be somehow stumbling in the opener to temple because then what would it be four of your yeah. or three of your last four losses are all to a group of five schools so um I'm not going to sit here and say what games are, are must-wins, but I think they definitely got to get to eight. And let's be real, too. Like, if Manny only wins seven games, um, it's going to be hard for him to ever get this thing off the ground. If if you can only start your career at Miami with six and seven wins, how are you going to recruit off that moving forward and land the players necessary to elevate you to double-digit wins every year? Um you know, this thing is a cycle. You have to get the players to compete at a high level, and you got to compete at a high level to get the players to do that. So at some point, you got to, and I'm for this. You got to recognize early, hey, this this isn't working. We gotta we gotta switch it up. So yes, I do think, as crazy as it sounds, you know, to longtime college football fans, these coaches only get 
two, two and a half years to show what they can do. All right, let's move to the next question. This one comes from Slim Jerry. He asks, how does talent on this year's roster compare to that of previous years? Are we heading in the right direction in terms of blue chip ratio? I'm curious how a Miami team compares to the, how a 2017 Miami team compares to to want to this year's team. I, I think he's just asking um, just overall thoughts on the roster. Yeah. David, I've only been around this program for, what, three, four years now. Um, so maybe this is better for you if you want to kind of, sure. you know. I'll give you honors on the tee here. Yeah, I'll ramble. Um, you know, I, there's a lot to unpack here. So I think, first of all, let's address just the overall talent of the of this roster. Um, in my opinion, when you compare it to the overall talent of the rest of the Coastal Division, Miami needs to be right there in terms of competing for the Coastal. Um, I think roster-wise, they're probably the most talented team in the Coastal. I think, you know, it's way too early to look at it, but I think you're concerned about North Carolina, who might be better in year two under Mac Brown and have a what appears to be a, a very good rising sophomore quarterback in Sam Howe. Uh, also, remember, North Carolina beat Miami last year. So I think North Carolina... I think Virginia Tech showed some things. You never know what to expect with Virginia Tech these days. And then, of course, Virginia. I mean, they have to replace their quarterback and Bryce Perkins, but Bronco Mendenhall seems to have a good thing going on a consistent basis on defense. So first thing I'll say is, look, the talent level, do I think it's like championship good? Like, no, let's be real. It's not close to that. Um, Can it win nine or ten games and win the Coastal? I think it can Um, so that's kind of where I would put my expectations in terms of the overall talent with this team. Now, comparing it to the last team that did win the Coastal, which I think is interesting. And, you know, again, I'm going to ramble a little bit, but so the 2017 team, right? I think if you look back at that team and the, the starters, it was a very talented team. Um, I think overall, that 2017 team is probably not significantly better, but it's pretty clear it's a better roster than this year's team going into the year. Um, I think the one area, well, I'll say two areas. I think the two areas where you say this 2020 team might be better, and they are significant areas, is quarterback. I think De'Eric King is going to be better than Malik uh, Rozier was, and I'm not necessarily a, a Rozier hater, um, but there's no denying De'Ara King is a, is, an on, is on another level at quarterback. And then I think defensive end uh, this year is going to be better than that 2017 team, but that 2017 team had a lot of talent at defensive end as well with Joe Jackson, Chad Thomas, and then let's not forget about Trent Harris, who was a productive edge rusher at the college level. I think he actually led that team in sacks with like eight and a half sacks. But anyways, let's go let's go position by position with that 2017 team just as a trip down memory lane to show you this is the type of talent it takes to win 10-ish games and win the Coastal. So at running back, Travis Homer. I don't think Cam Harris is on Travis Homer's level. Um, wide receiver. It was Braxton Berrios, Amon Richards, Jeff Thomas, 
Lawrence Cager, who, you know, went on to do better things at Georgia than he did at Miami. But still, um, I don't think this year's wide receiver group, at least on paper, from what we have seen so far, is on the same level as that group. Tight end, I would take this year's tight end uh, group with Brevin Jordan and Will Mallory. But that 2017 team had Chris Herndon, who has shown some talent as an NFL player. Offensive line, to me, is a toss-up. I mean, I would probably take that 2017 group just because it was a veteran group um, with Casey McDermott, Tyrese St. Louis, and Trevor Darling. Um, But are they, like, crazy talented? No. But I I do think they're still better than this current group going into 2020. Defensive ends we touched on. I would probably take the 2020 group. Defensive tackle. I don't think it's close. I think 2017's is better with, with R.J. McIntosh and Kendrick Norton. Linebackers, of course, were Shaq Quarterman and Mike Pinkney, so I would take that group. Cornerback was Mike Jack, uh, Malik Young, Trajan Bandy. I would take that 2017 group. And then safety was uh, Jaquan Johnson and Sheldrick Redwine, so I would take that group as well. Now, am I saying this 2020 group is considerably less talented no i do think there is still a lot of potential with this 2020 group to unlock and i think along that line of thinking one of the bright spots is that uh, personally i am a believer in that talented 2018 recruiting class that was a top 10 class i think it was ranked number eight in the final 24 7 sports uh, team rankings and that class is now entering its third year at Miami and that's the year when, when you start to see most college players truly blossom into what they are going to be at the college level and that's guys like you know Brevin Jordan and Greg Rousseau who have already established themselves as like you know star players at the college level Um, But I do think those two guys can still reach another level. Um, But then it's also guys like Nesta Silvera, Mark Pope, Al Blades, DJ Scaife, Gervin Hall, Cam Harris, Gilbert Frierson, Will Mallory, DJ Ivey, D. Wiggins, Jordan Miller. These are guys that have had, you know, significant playing time or they have earned rotational type roles you know, as freshmen or sophomores, and, you know, have they have they been the most consistent guys? A lot of those guys, no, but they flash talent, and this third year is the time for them to show they can consistently play at a high level. I think a lot of those guys will make that jump, and if they do, then you can start to maybe talk about this 2020 roster, you know, top to bottom, being close to the 2017 roster anyways that was a lot of rambling what what are your thoughts i think for me when i go back to that 2017 roster um and 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 that that's the group that what played clemson you know i go back to that game and i thought the biggest thing for miami is they didn't have uh the depth and that was that was the one thing that that really separated them and Looking at what Miami has now, I, I still think that's kind of one of the issues. Um, sure. You like what they have at, at certain spots, but they don't have the elite guys behind them. Um, 
you know, where, where, whereas a program at Clemson, that guy's a, a four or five star at Miami, it, it, it's a three star. And I just think that's kind of the one difference. And what I've been saying with these past two recruiting cycles is I like it because Miami's stacking guys that I think can be potential starters. Like they, they've done a good job of recruiting that, but you got to you got to stack those classes and then then start getting elite classes with with difference makers. And I just don't think Miami's at that level yet. But what they've recruited the past two years, I, I do think is kind of heading the right direction, just kind of given how the seasons have gone. And what I'll say too, again, reiterating the point, this 2020 team, the two positions you really have to like uh, are the impact positions. Quarterback, Derek King, he can elevate things on his own at that position. And then pass rush, Greg Rousseau, Quincy Rocher, Rocher. I think, uh, you know, Jalen Phillips is going to be intriguing this spring. Jafari Harvey is is a talented young player there. Uh, you know, Miami has significant talent at those impact positions on offense and defense, and that can cover up some deficiencies at other positions. Um, so, again, like comparing roster to roster, 2017 uh, is better than 2020, but... You know, court, being better at quarterback is a big deal. And this 2020 team is probably better at quarterback and slightly better at pass rush because, you know, that 2017 team, it was nothing to sneeze at in terms of their pass rush either. But this 2020 group is even better. So, you know, how much does that equal in terms of wins this year? It's going to be very interesting. Uh, next question. This one comes from, uh, Huff two seven again. How do you guys feel about the linebacker room heading into 2020? I'm personally terrified as McLeod has been injury prone and there's barely any experience next to him. Uh, I think I kind of touched on this a few minutes ago. Yeah. I'm, I'm concerned. Uh, really interested to see who kind of steps up here in the spring. Tell me this though. Like, you could say that about a lot of positions on this team, though, right? Like, if a starter gets hurt, I mean, this goes back to your point about the depth. Uh, if a starter gets hurt, it's a big drop-off to the backup with this team. Um, yeah. That's certainly the case with McLeod uh, at the linebacker group. But I'll say this. I do think I do think this defense is linebacker-friendly, Um and obviously you want to play guys with experience, guys that have, you know, been in some games. But if there is a defense in which you can plug and play younger players that have athleticism that can make up for, you know, minor mistakes with their athleticism and effort, it is this type of defense. And I think they have guys like young guys like Sam Brooks, Avery Huff. Uh, Tyreek Austin Cave, who's an early enrollee freshman. I guess he'll be out this spring, but you know, moving forward, he's probably going to be in the mix some. Uh, those are three athletic linebackers that, if they play hard and you know let their athleticism show, I think they'll be just fine, honestly, um, playing in this defense. But I, I do agree with the overall sentiment of the question but i would 
probably honestly extend that to a lot of positions, not just linebacker. No, and that's fair. I think for me, what it comes down to is I don't believe in Wayman Steed or Bradley Jennings. I really yeah. haven't. Um, no, I'm not even. Honestly, and, I'm not entering them into the equation. But. Right, 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 right. So I love Avery Huff as a recruit, and Sam Brooks, I think, has impressed. So, yeah, I mean, that's definitely the one big concern, but it kind of is what it is. Like, there's going to be youth there and yeah i know that they talked about potentially bringing in a, a transfer guy if, if the right one showed up but um getting a quarterback was was probably more important and, and an elite sure. edge rusher so it is what it is yeah and you know zach mcleod injuries have definitely been a thing with him but he's had a year off to get his body right and i think he even said I think going into this season, he finally had surgery on one of his issues, like a wrist issue, I think. And he said it's finally feel it was feeling the best it's ever felt. So hopefully that extends, you know, and it's just he's going to be healthy moving forward because there is kind of a unlucky element to being injured all the time. I, I don't think necessarily being injury prone is a trait, but that's another discussion. <laughs> Last team question. This one comes from NY Kane five. It seems like with Derek King only here for this year and us probably most certainly losing Greg Russo and Brevin Jordan to the draft, the sense of urgency around the program has to be pretty high. Have you felt that in your interactions? And do you believe our coaching staff is ready for that? I will say this. Um, you know, I, I heard from someone right before, I kind of signing day or I actually maybe this was before, uh, you know, Derek King and Quincy Roche came on board and it was someone on staff and we were just kind of talking about how things went and, and what's ahead. And this is when everyone was saying, man, he needed to bring in Alonzo Highsmith. And they kind of just pointed out to me that they believe Miami is in prime position to win and, and they think they're going to win big. So what what does that mean? Uh, in, in terms from a preparation standpoint, I don't know. Uh, but I do think there's a lot of people inside those football offices that are running uh, the mat drill workouts that, that think they can win a ton of games this season. Now they got to do it, but I, I do think the mentality is that they're ready to win big. Yeah, and I think with the offseason moves they made, we've touched on this already, but it tells you that they 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 understand it's win now mode for for you know this 2020 season. Um, so yeah, I agree. I mean, getting a quarterback, getting an edge rusher, bringing in Ed Reed, these are all moves that tell you they understand that there is a high sense of urgency to win and win right now. All right, coming up on the other side, we're gonna talk. A bunch of recruiting, because that was uh, a lot of the questions. So after the break, talking recruiting. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back, and now we're going to talk recruiting with Andrew. Um, First question comes from Chu Burka. Why did Thad Franklin drop so much in the rankings? That man produced in the toughest area in the country, and I don't know why it should matter what a running back from anywhere else did. Nobody produces like uh, South Florida uh, players, I guess, is, is the question. So Thad Franklin, Miami running back commit, dropped in the recent 24-7 sports recruiting rankings. Uh, what's your understanding of, of what happened there, Andrew? So 24-7 sports did roll out um, their first real major update in the class of 2021 and I think close to a year um, this past week, Thad Franklin did move down, shift back a little bit in the rankings. I think uh, so far might be a, uh, I don't know, exaggeration. I mean, he moved, he, he slid back 48 spots. He's still inside the top 24-7. He's still the number two ranked running back in the state of Florida. But just talking with some of my colleagues, um, talking with, Barton Simmons, the 24-7 sports director of recruiting, and Charles Powers. From my understanding right now, the biggest concern with Thad Franklin is his speed. Uh, There's no question he's productive, ran for 2,200 yards, 28 touchdowns, um, 355 in the 3A state title game. But a lot of people aren't sure right now uh, if he's he's a flat line burner. And I do kind of agree. I mean, I've seen him play. We talked a lot about that on our previous episode, but that is the kind of the one sticking point right now with, with Thad Franklin. And uh, I think I even said it on the last podcast, like that, that will be the issue. Um, not sure if we're going to get a verified time for him, but I, I will say when you, when you look at Thad, he doesn't really look like he's all, he's not all jacked up and, and rocked up. Uh, he's just a physical runner. Um, and, and the thing I don't think most people know is he actually was a pretty good youth basketball player that, that played on the AAU circuit. So uh, I think he's a lot more athletic than people give to him. Uh, but speed is the is the big question mark. Yeah, and I think that's understandable. It's just not his style. And, you know, these guys have to project. And speed is a big part, of course, of being a good running back. It doesn't mean that Thad is not good. It's just his style doesn't necessarily make him the elite of the elite. I think you said it in the last podcast, like at his size, which is what, six foot 220, 215? Yeah. I mean, he says he's 215. I think he's closer to 220. So if he ran a four or five at that size, he would be, you know, close to a five star, right? So, yeah. you know, all these guys have flaws. It's just this is what, you know, Thad's quote-unquote flaw is, but he's still a, a very, very good player. All right, the next question comes from Ajone228 and Third Gear. 
the they want to know what is the biggest needs this cycle in recruiting. I'm assuming that means, you know, position by position, what are the biggest needs for Miami this year? So this was actually like when we were putting this outline together, one of my favorite questions, just because it kind of made me stop and think and kind of really uh, go through the board. And, you know, I, I haven't had sat down and had a conversation with Manny Diaz, like, hey, wh- what are your guys' biggest needs? But I have talked to some people in the program, um, I, 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 and I think I have a general sense uh, of what they're looking for in in this cycle. And it's still very early. I mean, you, you have no idea what ha- is going to happen with your numbers. This is kind of all projections. But I think the biggest need is without a doubt offensive line. We all know how Miami finished in the class of 2020. We all know what this unit has looked like in, in recent years. And uh, they got to get linemen. They got to get tackles. They got to get good guys there. So number one would be offensive line. Number two, uh, this is... I don't think most people would say surprising, but they got to get an elite tight end. Um, yeah, Miami, that's kind of been the bread and butter in recent years. And they're like we noted in, in the previous question before the break, uh, there's a chance Brevin Jordan could go to the NFL. So that's going to leave a vacancy. And um, the, the staff likes Dominic Marmorelli, but I don't think he's a guy who can stretch the field. So Miami has a tight end committed now and Khalil Brantley, but in my opinion, they need to get a, uh, another one and preferably an elite blue chip one. Other position groups, uh, defensive tackle, I think they're going to need to take some interior linemen. You know, they only really took one of those guys this past cycle and Elijah Roberts, the kid out of Miami Columbus. He's listed as a defensive end, but probably slides inside. So they're a little thin on numbers there. Um, they like the guys they have on campus, but they're, they're going to need to probably take two or three uh, tackles and, and, and athletic guys. And I think just based on the offers that we've seen go out so far, they're going to do that wide receiver. Um, I mean, Miami took four in, in 2020, but if you're going spread, you're going to keep having to get those guys. And then obviously other position groups, I mean, corner, uh, probably going to need, try to find a, take, an, a, take an elite guy there. And, you know, they're going to get a, a quarterback. They already got the running back, Thad Franklin. Um, but I think the two or three biggest positions are, are offensive line, tight end, um, interior defensive linemen, and then wide receivers. All right, the next question kind of builds on this point uh, from Wait, UC... Uh, oh- Go ahead. Real quick, did you, did you did you agree with me on that? I mean, just kind of trying to yeah. project it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm one of those guys that probably would put quarterback number one every single year, just because, you know, I, it's the most important position, and you just always want to stack, 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 stack that position every year. Give yourself a chance to win. Um, you know, I know we'll get get more into quarterback recruiting here in a little bit, but. Yes, I agree. Offensive tackle, got a stack there. And tight end, I am totally with you. Like, they need to they need to land a difference maker there. And I think there are definitely options, you know, in the state of Florida and nationally that can get that done. So I'm curious on those two positions as well, like offensive line and tight end. Well, I All guess right. I'm just kind of in the camp that, like, you should always take an elite quarterback every cycle, so... It's just a given. Like, you don't even have to sure. write it down. I, I mean, Sure, sure. No doubt. That's fair. 
Next question. UCF 34, Penn State 30, <laughs> or sorry, PSU 31. <laughs> what, what a name on the Miami <laughs> message board. So this kind of builds on to the last question, but dig into the offensive line recruiting a little bit. Who are maybe the top five realistic targets you feel like Miami is, has a chance in landing? Um, so last podcast, we talked about a few of these guys. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, read read our site, you know these names. Um, I think the list starts of, of realistic targets with, with Ryan Rodriguez, uh, the local center slash guard at a, at a Miami Columbus. You know, he played some tackle this past year. He was at the junior day told me recently he's going to be on campus for a spring practice. He's one. Michael McLaughlin is another. Uh, He's a tight end turned offensive tackle. Miami was offer number one from him. He goes to Parkland, Stoneman, Douglas. Just actually moved up into the uh, top uh, 24-7. Barton Simmons and and the boys really like his upside. So he's another guy uh, that I think is realistic. And then Eli Sutton, who's another top 24-7 tackle, he's actually from uh, the Nashville area. Already visited three times, going to return again, has Miami in his top six. So those are like three um, realistic ones, I I think, without a doubt, just given the fact that they've already visited. They've spoken with new offensive line coach, Garen Justice. And I think if you're Miami and and you're able to get, let's say, two of those three, that gives you a very solid base uh, and, and allows you to go maybe target some other big dogs so who are those other big dogs caleb johnson he's a top 24 7 tackle out of the ocala area uh he's got a teammate as well another interior lineman jake slaughter those two kids are hoping to visit sometime i mean they might not be like top of the board top of the board elite talents but they're good in-state linemen that i think miami uh would love to get in terms of like big fish that are out there J.C. Latham, he's a kid out of IMG Academy, true tackle. Might actually be the best tackle prospect in the class. Uh, he put Miami in his top 10 a couple months ago for a Wisconsin native. Probably going to be hard to beat out you know, Michigan and Ohio State and all those powers, but there does seem to be some initial interest. Savion Bird, he's a five-star tackle out of uh, – the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. I mentioned him and wrote about him on the site, uh, I think, last week. He's got a prior relationship with Rhett Lashley from Lashley's time at SMU, so he's another. And then one guy um, who's at who's who's local is Marcus Tate, and he's at Fort Lauderdale University School, um, currently committed to Clemson, but he, he said uh, Miami finished second, so... Who knows what happens uh, if Miami were to win a ton of games. But those are those are kind of the realistic names and then um, the pipe dreams. Yeah, I know for me, like offensive line recruiting doesn't get a lot of people excited, but I am very interested to see uh, the type of impact Garen Justice can have. Um, you know, in my opinion, Miami hasn't really had offensive line recruiters who really get after it, like you would hope. Um, so I'm hoping that Garen kind of ends that trend. I, I want to see how effective he can be on the recruiting trail. No, and he, and he should be. I mean, he has a college background. He knows that there is no, um, I'm going to cut you and, and sign someone else. I mean, he was a, a former, I think, D2 head coach. So 
um, that I think if you're a Miami fan, you should be excited about kind of how he handles recruiting and his board. Next question is from C. Perry Co. Who are the top five to ten guys that Miami could have a chance with if we were to pull off a 10-plus win season and Coastal Championship season that right now aren't, quote-unquote, top targets? I prefer more offensive uh, answers, so guys on the offensive side of the ball. So I don't know about five to ten, but maybe who are – if Miami has a strong season – who do you think are maybe some guys that are elite that maybe aren't really feeling Miami right now, but might be feeling them if Miami shows they're, they're on the right track. Sorry. My dog was going nuts on the wind. Uh, Marcus Tate would definitely be one. Like I just brought him up, you know, Miami finished second. They finished second at Clemson. Uh, and, and, you know, look at where these two different programs are. So I think if Miami were to win, um, a bunch of games. I think they could maybe get involved there again. James Williams, the uh, five-star safety out of, where is he at now? He's at Plantation American Heritage, third school in fourth years. You know, he came out with a, a top three that that's Georgia, Auburn, and Clemson a, a week ago. Uh, he seems to be someone who likes Miami. I, I think if Miami got in that national conversation and spotlight, Maybe he would look at Miami through a different lens. So he's another uh, out-of-state guys. Um, Tristan Lee, he, he's a, a, a top 24-7 tackle out of the Virginia area. Garen Justin, I, I know he went up there to see him. I, I think if Miami um, were to make a, a New Year's Six Bowl, that's someone that would be interested because you would have to assume the offense is pretty good. Jalil Farouk, he's a he's a wide receiver out of the Maryland area. He he's another guy. I mean, pretty much any out of state offer, I think you would be able to uh, maybe get some more traction with, and that that would also apply to quarterbacks. And I know we're gonna get into quarterbacks eventually on this podcast, but I mean, if Miami's in the college football playoff conversation, it's because this offense is is doing what it's we we all think it potentially could do under Rhett Lashley. So I think a lot of playmakers would want to come here. And one other thing I just want to point out kind of that has to do with this question is let's go back to, to two years ago. I mean, when Miami really had it rolling and that, that Notre Dame game, I mean, the visitors list for that was insane. It was the best it's ever been um, since I've been on this beat. So to me, that shows if you win, the local stars are going to want to come out. I mean, go back to that game, like, you had Tyson Campbell, Pat Sertain. I mean, all those kids showed up, Tyreek Stevenson. So uh, if Miami wins uh, and is playing in those high-profile games, then, uh, you know, the Palmetto, the, the, the group of Palmetto kids, Corey Collier, Jason Marshall, Leonard Taylor, they're all going to be visiting. All right, that kind of transitions into the next question a little bit from Guido90. Um, Keanu Coat. Am I saying that right? Coat? Do you yes, know? yes. Okay. Yeah. Ke- Keanu Coat, Christian Leary, and the Palmetto guys who you just alluded to. Miami Palmetto High School is loaded with talent during this recruiting cycle. Um, they are guys that didn't even mention Miami among the schools they are interested in. Uh, that was probably recently th- through like a tweet or something. Um, 
Given that we know the Palmetto guys are probably a long shot for UM regardless, do you think this is alarming at this stage? Well, let's go through these names real quick. I mean, Keanu Cote, he's a top 24-7 defensive end out of, out of Vero Beach. Kristen Leary, top 24-7 all-purpose type of guy out of Orlando. And then those Palmetto guys, I mean, Cote basically told me that Alabama and Georgia lead. Christian Leary put out a top 12. Miami wasn't in it. And, and then the Palmetto guys, I've written a bunch of stories here over the past couple of days, and, and Miami seems to be running fourth or fifth at best in those recruitments. So is it time to panic? Um, I don't know. Like, yes, maybe. Yes, but no at the same time. I mean, what are Miami fan, what should my what should expectations be given ha- after how the season went? Like I know Miami did a great job in, in the transfer portal in, in finishing out the 2020 class and e- even keeping that 2020 class together, but elite recruits want to go to schools that are winning. Um, and right now Miami just hasn't really won o- over the past two seasons. So I don't think it's all that surprising. Um, is it alarming? Sure, yes. Like you, 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 you don't want to be losing a Keanu Code or a Christian Leary, or when a school right down the road from you is absolutely loaded with five stars, you, you don't want those. You, you don't want them not considering you. But given this, the situation you're in, it, it is what it is, and and the way Miami gets out of it, I think, is putting together an exciting season. And it sounds so. Um, like we're beating a dead horse. We always bring it up. I mean, you win, they'll come, but that's what really Miami needs to do. It was all talk last off season and Miami kind of fell on its face. So I think there's been a different approach this year. Miami's not as, as vocal and verbal about the new Miami. Um, they're just working. And it, if the re- results produce, if they, if they win games, like, like I said, you know, the local kids are going to look at them. Of these guys that that were mentioned, were any of them surprising to you that Miami wasn't included on on their like quote unquote top list? Uh, yeah, I mean Keanu Cote is a guy is a kid who played alongside Miami freshman defensive end Jafari Harvey. Um, you know he was at Paradise Camp, he was at Miami Nights, and it seems like Miami's just drifted away. And uh, I, I think he's like I said, he's going to end up at the SEC at, at George or Alabama. So that was surprising. Christian Leary too. I mean, he visited last yeah. month with his seven on seven team. I, I don't think he's taken like any other visits. I and was surprised. Yeah. For him to not put Miami and what, and don't get me wrong. I think top 12s are, are dumb. They're stupid. I, I'm never going to write a story about a, a top 12. And unless the people that sign my checks tell me to, um, uh, you know, for him not to stick a Miami logo in there, it's like, what's up with that? Or maybe he, he forgot. I mean, the Palmetto ones, I'm not surprised. Like, sure. this is this is what it's been. And this has been my feeling really ever since Miami lost to Florida uh, in week zero. Next question is from Alex ST 22 He writes, my only question, I know it's only been a few weeks, but how has the recruiting strategy changed in 2021? We seem to be reaching out to more national prospects. And with Lashley here, has the recruiting philosophy changed in terms of going after elite speed on offense every cycle? Well, that's the answer to that is for sure, yes. Um, they seem to be all about speed. You know, Christian Leary, the kid we just mentioned, he's a 
he's a track kid, 10-8 in the 100-meter dash, but he's not the only like track athlete they're after. Uh, you know, Keith Brown, um, the the top 24-7 athlete, or he, excuse me, he's not a top 24-7 athlete. Me and you both think he should be, but he but he's not. Uh, you know, he's he's an 11-01 kid. Um, Jaden Alexis, he's a, a slot receiver out of Monarch in Broward County. He visited for the junior day. I think he's like a 10-8-6 kid. And, and then, um, you know, there's some guys out uh, uh, in the Fort Monarch, Myers area that the defensive staff likes, but they could honestly play offense as well. And that's Tavares Dawson, the four-star cornerback, and then uh, Malik Curtis, who's who's a, who's an athlete. So yeah, for some reason Miami seems to have this new need for speed, and like I'm kind of all about it because let's go back yeah. to Miami's uh, was it the Storm 18 recruiting class? Like I remember that year I went to the state track meet just because Miami had so many guys in it, like Will Mallory. Remember, he was the 110-meter hurdles. Uh, you had Gervin Hall also ran hurdles. Um, I'm probably you know, forgetting some guys, but it does seem like uh, Mike Harley was on like a relay team. Um, it seems like they put more emphasis on, uh, on speed, and I, I'm, I'm all for it. In terms of the national offers, I think what Miami has realized right now is things probably aren't, where they need to be locally. Um, again, that FIU loss ha- has hurt. Uh, so I, I think they're just trying to cast a wide, a wide net, and I think that's the way to go. I mean, look at some of these. Um, look at the class of 2020. I mean, Miami had success out of state, so I'm not surprised that that they're doing it. With, with Lashley here, they, there seems to be a feeling that they're going to be, have, be able to have some success in Texas. So that's why I think we're seeing more and more offers go out in Texas. All right. Next question is from FF Davis and Casey Sheldon out of all the quarterbacks. Rhett Lashley is after which one is the most realistic option and which one has the best chance to be a elite. And then uh, Kane religion also asks, which applies to this question, any chance that Miami takes two quarterbacks this cycle? Just so uh, we we discussed the possibility of two quarterbacks, right? Didn't we do, already do that on? I think so. Okay, okay. Yeah, so I think there's a chance, but right now Miami needs to get, needs to get one in the boat first uh, before they start going after two. And if, if one of the guys on the current roster were to leave – then becomes even more obvious that they need to take two. And, um, you know, Nikosi Perry graduates in December. He, he could leave. Um, Peyton Matocha, we really don't know what he's going to do. So he's another one that could leave. And that's just all speculation. I mean, but I think if, if Miami felt one of those guys was going to transfer out, then they will absolutely uh, take two. In terms of uh, who might be the most realistic option for Miami at quarterback, I wrote a big insider on, on Thursday. It's it's up on the site, just kind of the latest with with the uh, the search for a quarterback. And I'm sure most of the people listening to this podcast have read it. I don't really know who I would peg as like this is the guy I think Miami's going to get. Um, there's a lot of names in play, and we'll see kind of which ones visit. So who are these names? Miller Moss. He's a uh, top 24-7 kid out of the, the Los Angeles area. He, he's talked about visiting in March. Miami's battling like UC, UCLA, USC, uh, I think Stanford 
is in there, Northwestern. So he's one. Um, a, a, another one is Aaron McLaughlin, the kid out of, of Georgia. He's a, a four-star quarterback, high three-star, according to some services, recently decommitted from Auburn. He's another one that, that's talking about visiting. Um, if I had to guess, you know, right now, which which quarterback can Miami get? I, I would think it's Aaron McLaughlin. My issue with if they were to take him is it's a very deep year at quarterback in the class of 2021. I think there's, what, 21 guys inside the top 24-7, which is insane, 12 inside the top 100. And Aaron McLaughlin, I think, has some, some tools you like, but – man, this is the year to go and, and get an elite quarterback just because there's so many available. And I, I just don't know if he's on the same level of some of those other guys that I've mentioned. Uh, David, I was, because we were texting about this, who do you like the most kind of out of all the guys that Miami's been linked to or offered? Yeah, the guy, you know, this is just watching huddle film. Um, so they're highlights that are that they upload online, but I think, uh, in my opinion, it's pretty clear Miller Moss, the the quarterback from California, is the best guy that they're kind of zeroing in on. Um, and I would imagine, isn't he one of the only few guys left that's like highly rated that isn't committed to? So I mean, I think the competition will be fierce, right? Yeah, yeah. Like like I said, uh, USC, UCLA, Cal's even in there. Um, Miami's got to get him out here, and, and I, I'm just not sure that's going to happen. I like Miller's tape. I, I also like Garrett Nussmeyer. He's a kid out of Flower Mound, Texas. He was a big riser in the rankings. Um, he he seems to be someone who Lashley has has sunk his teeth into. There's another kid in Texas um, that that uh, Lashley's after. Uh, not going to toss that name out there um, just because that that is behind the paywall and. Not going to give away all the scoop, but it, it, it seems like Nuss is someone who they, they kind of want to see what's going to happen. He's going to visit like Texas and LSU and North Carolina once this dead period opens up. But Miami's hoping they can maybe lure to him to campus. So I, I like Nuss. I like Miller Moss. I will say, though, one guy who's kind of intrigues me is I think it's Demetrius Davis. Is that how you say it? Uh, or yeah. Demetrius Davis. Uh, he's out of Houston North Shore, so that's the same high school as um, Corey Flag, uh, Miami's linebacker signee. This kid is like 35 and two as a starting quarterback, three-year starter, uh, simply electric. I mean, he can score anytime he touches the ball, or I should say, at least produce points. I mean, because he can throw it, he can run it. Um, and I think out of everyone Miami has offered or, or Rhett Lashley's offered. He might be the one that's the most similar to Derek King. And yeah. We'll see what the offense looks like, but if that's the direction they want to go, maybe that's the quarterback they try to flip or, or target. But who knows? I mean, Rhett Lashley had a lot of success this past season at SMU with uh, Shane Bushell, and he wasn't exactly the best athlete. Uh, he wasn't like a four or five kid who, who can r- run around and, and scramble and make plays. So, um, right. I, I just think it's going to come down to that Lashley's probably going to want the guy with maybe the best arm or, or the guy I thinks it's going to be the best chance to win. Yeah, and the Demetrius Davis guy, uh, I would recommend you guys watching his highlight tape. It's kind of a fun highlight. Um, he's definitely a guy who 
needs to rely on his legs to be uh, a threat because he he doesn't have you can even see on film like he doesn't have the biggest arm he does get the ball out quick which helps him but like if a if a, if he sees a read late and then tries to push the ball downfield the ball does hang a little bit and, and you would be concerned about that at the college level but he is a dynam- dynamic dual threat and if you build an offense around that dual threat he can certainly be effective at a place like Miami um but yeah, I I just think, man, if Miami's able to get Miller Moss across the country on campus at some point in March, that's a huge deal. And, you know, we're going to know a lot about Rhett Lashley's recruiting abilities um, during, during that visit. Uh, because if you're able to get a guy like Miller Moss and you, you bring him in and he competes with Tyler Van Dyke, the 2020 signee, you got to feel good about the quarterback situation moving forward. And I just want to add, I think there's going to be a reshuffling of the quarterbacks um, at some point. And what do I mean by that? Like the quarterback recruiting has become so accelerated or, or, or so advanced yeah. that these, a lot of these schools are banking on kids and, and offering them and taking them as, as sophomores. And then, Sometimes it doesn't work out, and and there's a, a reshifting, a, a parting of ways, or um, maybe a kid all of a sudden becomes a lot better than than someone thought, and and another school wants to jump in there. So, you know, I don't think it's time for, to really uh, be all that concerned about Miami not having a quarterback committed. Like, I mean, if if again, I keep saying this, like if Miami wins and the offense looks good, like one of these elite arms is going to want to play there. So. Uh, I don't think it's time to panic. If I'm Rhett Lashley and I'm um, I'm Miami, I'm trying to get as many of these quarterbacks as I can on campus. And if one of them wants in, yeah, absolutely take them. But right now, maybe you kind of build and develop those relationships uh, and then see what you can get in, in the summer months or even during the season. And I think, too, just uh, in terms of, you know, regionally, um, it's a good year at quarterback nationally, but it's a bad year in the state of Florida, which is unfortunate for Miami, right? Like there's not, there's not a quarterback who's worth Miami even kind of sniffing around in the state. Fair to say. It is. I mean, I had a power five quarterback coach. I kind of asked that question a couple months ago to him. I said, is there anyone you think that has a chance and he basically just said no <laughs> he's like yeah. no you got you got to go out of state this year um i mean there's there's some i mean who knows K- kids can always develop but it, it seems like they're gonna have to go out of state and as as one person in coral gables put it to me the other day we want a cali or a texas quarterback and if you look yeah. at the offers those are what the offers are right now well to also you know if you look at just the rankings um a ton of four-star quarterbacks in the state of Texas, which, you know, is a good thing, I think, for Miami with Rhett Lashley's recent ties there. So, yeah, you know, it's it's a great year in Texas for quarterbacks. Yeah, just just read the uh, read the insider up on the site, and there's some more Texas names mentioned. Yeah, good stuff there. All right, anything else, or, or should we wrap this up, Andrew, or— Let's let's wrap it up. Uh, I think next week, what are we we're gonna go full uh, spring football preview, right? 
Let's do it. Yeah, right around the corner. I'm ready for it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hope everyone enjoys the weekend. Um, I think we're doing a seven-on-seven tournament Saturday, and then we'll kind of go from there. All right, guys. Take care.